0: you're listening to new city sermon podcast we hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into god's word in order that we might grow in the good news of king jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city let's get into the scriptures now
1: gordon has been a pastor um for how many years now 45 years, he's been a pastor. Pastored in Virginia, Belgium. He has also been a pastor to pastors around the world. He has traveled all over Africa, in the Caribbean and other parts of the world to train pastors how to preach and to train them how uh, to be pastors. In fact, the first time I met Gordon was in West Africa. I met him there before I met him here. And so I tease him that he's our international man of mystery because he's been around the world several times, and if you know him, you know that about him, but if you're new here, I just want to introduce you. So um, I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, would you just welcome him with a little bit of a a clap, a warm greeting. So let me pray for Gordon. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for a man who has been preaching your word for 45 years, and we pray that even um, as we've seen such faithful ministry in him, that you would faithfully uh, give us the ministry of the spirit today that through his words your word might come alive in our hearts in new ways we want to be rooted in your word and we want to know who you are and so we pray that jesus you would do that today in your name amen let's welcome him
0: thank you oh this is yeah hot okay we can bring that down and i'm going to uh, begin by, it still feels very loud to me. Does it not feel to you? It's okay? It's okay? Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, Isaiah chapter 56. Um, Isaiah was a prophet in the ancient country of Israel, and he wrote about 725 to 750 years before Jesus was born. And a lot of the prophecies about the coming of Jesus are actually found in uh, the book of Isaiah. And this is one of these wonderful prophecies that talk about what life would be like for the people of God once Jesus Christ had come. So this is now 700 more years before Jesus, uh, but this is what God is saying about the future. So this is what the Lord says, "'Preserve justice and do what is right, "'for my salvation is coming soon, "'and my righteousness will be revealed.'" He's talking about the coming of Christ. So happy is the person who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. "'No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord "'should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people, and the eunuch should not say, Look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain. And let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God, who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. And then in the ministry of Jesus, he went to the temple in Jerusalem, and he got really, really upset with people uh, because they were buying and they had set up their animal stalls for sacrifices, but in setting, setting them up outside the temple and then letting people come in, they said, hey, Let's, here's this big open area called the court of the Gentiles, the place where foreigners could come in. We don't need to let these foreigners come in. We got this big open area, and it's really convenient. Let's put our animal stalls right inside the temple. And so they started buying uh, and selling animals and exchanging money right there. And what did that do? It excluded, it pushed out the Gentiles from having a place to pray. And so Jesus was really, really upset at those people, so he was cleansing the temple. He drove out those animals, and he was teaching them, is it not written, and he's quoting Isaiah, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So this house of prayer uh, is extremely important to Jesus Christ. Now, John, uh, Pastor John here took a double barrel chance when he uh, asked me to preach this morning on prayer. First barrel is I'm newly retired and I don't get a chance much anymore publicly to speak. Hey. And you look like a likely audience to sit there very politely. And listen, and then secondly, the topic that he wanted me to preach on is prayer, which is so amazingly vast, it's like trying to say, uh, in a few words, say something about your building here. Well, you could go in six directions all at once. It's like, well, what's the history of this place? How did it even get here? How were the rooms used? Um... Who are the people that have come through here? What about the furniture? What about uh, the the grounds around us here? Where do you begin to say something briefly about this place? Well, even more so, where do you begin to say something meaningful about prayer? Well, that means that if I do spend the next hour talking, it's John's fault. (laughs) He was the one who asked a retired guy to speak about prayer. But actually, I, I was so aware this week of getting bogged down in the details of prayer, uh, wonderful details, like the kinds of prayers we can pray, the places that you can pray, the history of the answers to prayer. I mean, there's so many directions you could go that in order to not get swallowed up in these wonderful details, I decided to go in exactly the opposite direction and to not say much about detail, but actually to try to find what I felt in Scripture was the absolute bedrock about prayer. What does God say in the Bible that will encourage you this morning the most about prayer. To encourage you in prayer rather than discouraging you. Because let's face it, there's probably no subject that is more discouraging, more scary, more frightening to believers than prayer. We know we should want to talk about prayer we know we should want to pray and as soon as you say prayer yikes you know we scatter and that's what John was right in saying often the the corporate prayer meeting was the tiny little remnant group that gets together and you wonder why why is that and it's not because people dislike prayer but we're frightened we're discouraged well, here's the summary that I came up with. This, to me, is absolute bedrock. God is on intimate terms with us, therefore we will pray. Period. God is on intimate terms with you, therefore you will pray. I've recently uh, been given a free pass, the silver sneakers. That means I'm a you know, silver guy, and I get a free pass to the, um, to the YMCA. And I actually saw two brothers there last, uh, last week working out, well, talking, but working, <laughs> saying they were kind of working out. But after I do my kind of workout, uh, inside the men's locker room is a, is a steam room. And, you know, that's so enjoyable to open up and go in in this this hot steam. I picture being on these intimate terms with God as like being in that steam room. When I go into the steam room, I don't have to go in and tell myself, Sweat, Gordon, sweat. You better sweat. Sweat, sweat, Gordon, sweat. No, I open up the door. I walk in, and woof, you start sweating. that. Steam is just, and, and it feels so good to just feel the, you just feel the poisons, as they say, you know, the toxins and all going, on. and it just feels so good, and it's relaxing, and I'm not making myself do that, it's because the steam, the atmosphere of the room is doing it to me, it's bringing something out of me, and that is what God is doing when, you know, we call, by the way, our prayer line, the boiler room. Well, who cranks up the steam in the boiler room? It's Jesus. He's the one. We go into his presence. We go in to worship him. We go in before him, and we start thinking about him. And before you know it, praise, thanksgiving, petitions. Stuff starts coming out of us. We start sweating out prayers because he's turned up the intimacy, the heat of his love in our lives. So for this uh, sermon, I just really want to spend some time more talking about God's intimate terms with you, with us as the body of Christ, and not that much talking about our prayers to God. You know, what I've found is most books that are written on prayer Talk about the necessity of prayer, the kinds of prayers, how to get your prayer life in order, how to be diligent, and so forth. And those are all, can be extremely helpful things. What disappointed me, even in some very key books on prayer, was how little was spent on talking about how God in Christ and in the Holy Spirit is praying for us, first of all that long before we ever open our mouths in prayer, Jesus and the Spirit are already praying. And it's because they're praying for us that they draw out prayer from us. And we get really bogged down in the details of our exhaling our prayers and I want just this morning for us, just inhale this intimate love, this covenant love that God has for us. And as we bask in that, I believe we will as well exhale prayer. Now I want to expand my steam room picture for you uh, from a one little room and expand it out and make it a whole house. And the Bible pictures the intimate terms that believers are on with God and God is on these intimate terms with you and he gathers us together. He calls those intimate terms our being the very house of God. Paul will say you are God's household. So we in these intimate terms of love, are the house of God. Now, there's a wonderful British custom of naming your house. Um, a lot of times those names are based on the physical location of the house, so you'll see houses with the nameplate, the Dells or, uh, or the Glen or something like that. Or it'll be a word that tries to reflect the character, the personal uh, interest of that per- of of the owner of the house. The name tells you something about the location or the character of the owners. Uh, Marilyn and I have a peace sculpture, uh, and it's designed. It, it's uh, taken from the National Cathedral in uh, Washington D.C. It's designed uh, after uh, one of their uh, sculptures, and we have that. And it says peace on it. We have that. By our front door. It's because we want anybody that comes by, we would love for them to know the peace of God that passes understanding. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, Jesus says that God named his house. His house in the Old Testament was the temple. And he called it a house of prayer. That's what God wanted his place Living in intimacy with him, he wanted it to be known as, a, as prayer, as intimate communication. Prayer was never meant for the Jewish people to be a secret password to get you into the front door so that you could do rituals. God wasn't that interested in the prayers. He really was interested in all the, the blood of the goats and the, and, uh, the rams and so forth. No, God says, I'm not, I'm not all hepped up about the blood. I want mercy and justice and love. I want you to enter into intimacy with me by faith. I want it to be a house of prayer. So the people were invited in because God loved them. And once those faithful Jewish people were inside they were to breathe in the atmosphere of the temple. And yes, there was an altar there. Yes, there was blood there, but there was also incense. There were also sweet smells as well. And they were to breathe in this atmosphere of love, and then the Jews were then to exhale their prayers. Now, I need to spend some, a bit of time here just with you to, to explain how I got to that summary. The summary being, God is on intimate terms with us, therefore we will pray. And it starts with the passage I read in Isaiah chapter 56. You'll remember there, three different times, um, God talks about intimacy with him as being living in his house. They'll live within my house and within my walls. Let them rejoice in my house of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. God, in the Old Testament, was picturing a day uh, when people, not just uh, Jewish-born people, but starting with them, but spreading out throughout the entire world, that people from around the globe would be acceptable. And to show how powerful that image was, he, he uses two striking examples of people, foreigners and eunuchs, those that physically, um, God symbolically excluded from the closest in courts of prayer, th- those that physically couldn't reproduce, because he was putting an emphasis on the covenant being passed from generation to generation. But God says that's not ultimately the way it's going to be. And even those people that couldn't reproduce naturally, biologically, even though their bodies somehow were deformed. And so, therefore, to stress in the Old Testament God's perfection, that the sacrifice had to be perfect, God had to say, for the time being, people whose uh, bodies were mutilated in some fashion uh, so that they would be called eunuchs, they were not allowed into the most intimate place. Not because God didn't love them. He was just using them temporarily as an example to set before people how perfect Jesus needed to be, that his sacrifice had to be perfect. But you notice that for the foreigner and for the eunuch, God says, when Jesus comes, a new day is dawning. And there is no more exclusion. Because we're not talking about symbolism anymore. We are talking about the reality of Jesus welcoming every man, woman, and child from every country and uh, all races into fellowship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus has come and a new day has dawned. And as a sign of the dawn of this new humanity being made in the image of Jesus Christ... People from every nation are welcomed into God's house. And just as God wanted them to come into the old temple, so too now the new temple is still a house of prayer. The spiritual house of God is still a house of prayer. It was called a house of prayer in the Old Testament. And we are still now that house of prayer. We are welcomed home into God's most intimate terms, which the Bible calls the covenant or the agreement of grace, where God does the work for us to bring us uh, to himself, to bring us into intimacy with him. And remember, my friends, always never, never forget, in that house of prayer... We read it in Isaiah 56. There still was an altar in that prayer, I mean in that house. It was grace. We're invited to come in freely, but it doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all. It doesn't mean that it's just chaotic inside there. Anybody can come in with any kind of beliefs, and it doesn't really matter. Anybody can pray any old way they want, and it doesn't really matter. No. Remember, in that house of prayer was an altar. God called it my altar. And what was an altar used for? was to kill, kill things, right? You, you killed your animal on the altar as a symbol of, of the animal having to symbolically take death on behalf of the person offering the sacrifice, well that altar is forever still in the house of prayer even in the new testament even among us the book of hebrews says we have an altar and that altar is jesus christ you see there are to get into this house of prayer there are behavioral requirements it's not come one, come all, any old way, and live any old way. There are behavioral requirements. The problem is we just never, never would ever qualify for those uh, by our behavior. It just is impossible. There's an angelic bouncer at the door of heaven, and he's saying, are you kidding me? Why would... Why do you think you should get in here? Well, our answer to that is we have a Jesus-issued ID. (laughs) Okay? And we show. We can show the angels. We can show God the Father himself our Jesus-issued ID. Jesus' behavior. Jesus' perfection qualifies us. He pays the divine judgment entry fee for us. He is our altar. He signed the covenant, the terms of intimacy, and he signed them in the ink of his own blood. And all of that is done for you. And when you receive that, you receive your entrance and your welcome into the house of prayer, into the body of Christ. There's this wonderful passage in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that ties in our being, the house of prayer, and the body of Christ, but tying it in with the death of Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. In Zechariah 12, 10, it says, Therefore I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look at me whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him, as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. We look at Jesus pierced for us and we repent and say, God, my father, forgive my sins. What you had to do, what Jesus had to go through so that I could come into the house of prayer. But I look at him and I see him pierced and I mourn but I also believe. And so I receive and we all receive a spirit of grace and prayer. It's given to you as a free gift with the blood of Christ. You can never stoke up the steam and get yourself to be a praying person. But when you look at the one who was pierced on your behalf, and when you see that you're welcomed by his blood into the house of prayer, And you come in, you start to become a person of prayer. It it will be that way. It can't be any other way. If you live in the house of prayer, you're going to become a prayer. Now, you can see why if it was Jesus' life, life's work to build this new and real house of prayer for all nations, why he was so upset when he saw the Old Testament, um, house of prayer, which symbolized himself and his intimacy with us, when he saw it being desecrated, he had to do something about it. He had to cleanse it. He had to drive those people out and say, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. They were blocking the Gentiles, and in blocking the Gentiles, even the Jews couldn't be who they truly were, meant to be. Well, that physical house that Jesus cleansed has had an extreme makeover. And the old temple now has, been, has become the spiritual house of prayer, which we call the church. Jesus' own physical body, which he called a temple, was destroyed in God's wrath under judgment, but it was resurrected. After three days, I'll rebuild that temple. And as Jesus Christ is resurrected, He creates a new house of prayer. And that new house of prayer is a spiritual body raised up in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It's us. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. I don't know if I asked for uh, got the slides from First Corinthians or not. But you might have, Carlos. 1 Corinthians three nine. If not, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read them. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says, We are God's co-workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And then he goes down a little bit later in that chapter, verse 16. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple? He's speaking to the whole church, not just individuals. In another place, he does speak of our individual bodies being a temple. the Holy Spirit, so both as an individual, but now he's talking about us corporately. You are God's temple, and that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that's what you are. We together, corporately, and as individuals, we are that place where Jesus' Spirit has taken up residence and says, You are now the house of prayer. God has taken the nameplate off of the Old Testament temple, and He's now nailed it up, that new nameplate, on the church. House of prayer for all nations. Now it's within this house of prayer, the new house, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit create the atmosphere. Jesus and the Spirit are the big prayers, not, not we. We pray because Jesus and the Spirit are already and always praying. It's at right at this point that so much frustration comes into the Christian life. Uh, many accept that it's by God's love and God's invitation that we come into the body of Christ. I have faith, I come in, I believe in Jesus, and now I'm a member of the church. And that's great. And they read somewhere that, you know, that Christian people ought to be praying people. A well-meaning deacon or elder told or Sunday school teacher said, you know, if you're going to be a real serious Christian, you need to get serious about prayer. And then right at that moment, it's like, oh, yeah. I was invited in by grace. But now I need to really show how serious I am by my prayers. And now it's, it's up to me. It's fallen on my shoulders. i got to get this thing done. i got to figure out a way of praying. i got to get better habits. And then I'll try to pray hard. And I might do pretty well for about three days running. And then I'll oversleep. I'll be cranky, I'll be hangry, whatever it will be. And I won't pray. And then later on, I'm thinking, oh, yikes. Well, there went my prayer seriousness out the window. But then instead of coming back to the Lord and, and in any joyful manner, it's like, well, you know, um, what came through my mind, you, you'll not, re- only us old people will know uh, this old song, but it just popped into my mind. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Your prayer life is bound to die. You know? And I thought of the Kingston Trio, and I just thought of myself as being old, poor Tom Dooley, just hanging my head, and there went my prayer life. Failure lurks just over the horizon. What's the use? I'll never get it right, and then we're and then we've just we're caught in that circle, that nasty circle, and then I say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, did I forget something? Who built the house of prayer in the first place? Jesus did. Who said, "This is my house." Not your house, this is my house. You're welcomed in my house. Jesus said that. Who is the custodian of that house? Who keeps it up? Who keeps it in good repair? Who keeps noticing everything that's going wrong and needs does need attention, does need help? It's God that's the custodian. Who turns on the steam in the boiler room on Tuesday nights? It's Jesus' Spirit that's turning on the steam. I can't turn it on. Dan can't turn it on. Pastor John can't turn on the steam. It's the Holy Spirit that's turning on the steam. Jesus and the Spirit are the front-line prayers in the house of prayer. And listen to these great verses about their prayers. Not about your prayers. These are verses about their prayers. For you in the house of prayer. John 17, 20. I pray not only for these, but also for the, those who believe in me through their word. Jesus is directly praying for you. You see, he prays for the apostles. Those are the guys that wrote down the New Testament and shared, spread the gospel. Now, all these years later, we believe that gospel because of what God was doing through them. May they be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. And then Hebrews 7.24. But because Jesus remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. And then in Romans 8.34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more who has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands. That's the old temple, remember? That, That old building is long gone. It was a model of the true one. But he went into heaven itself so that he might appear in the presence of God for us. And then in speaking of um, the Holy Spirit, that was speaking about Jesus. Now in Romans 8.25, Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. You think you under understand your struggles with prayer? God absolutely knows that we are lousy at prayer. We don't know even how to, to begin hardly. But that doesn't hold him back. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Long before you have ever uttered your first prayer, Jesus and the Spirit have already been praying for you. Jesus and the Spirit have put you on intimate terms with God, and they are praying. And therefore, you will pray. Even if it's just with the most stumbling, beginning baby steps, it's okay. He's not met, met looking at the fancy quality of those steps of prayer. He's looking at your heart and saying, here are these little, these little babies of mine in my house of prayer. They're, they're trying to open their mouths. They're trying to babble something out. Oh, and I'm going to listen so carefully to what they say. And my spirit's going to just tune it up, take all the babbling, and just turn it into something really great. Well, you know um, that for better or for worse, um, fragrances rub off on your clothes and on your skin, right? Um. You smell like where you've been. Fragrance is telltale. Um, Marilyn always knows if I've been to one of um, my buddy's cigar gatherings. Uh, even if we're outside, we're by the pool, we're outside, we're enjoying our cigars. and And I walk in the house and it, she does. She doesn't mind, but it just still stinks. It's on my clothes. It's on my skin. It's in my hair. Whatever's left of that. Well, that you know, we accept that. Um, but then that also is positive as well. I mean, you can you can go in. I mean, if you go into a perfume store and you hang around for a while and you walk out and you walk by someone, they're going to go, Whoo, that's you know." that's impressive. I wonder what where they've been. Well, God's house, his house of prayer, does have a fragrance also. Uh, it's a fragrance of love and forgiveness and humility and joy and peace. It literally had a fragrance in the Old Testament with all the all the incense that they used to burn. I mean, literally, you could come out of that temple and people would know that you had been in that temple because of that wonderful incense that just permeated your clothing and your skin and your hair. Well, for us in the house of prayer, we're in the body of Christ, where does that fragrance come from? Well, of course, it comes from Jesus, his prayers permeating your skin, your clothing. It comes from the Spirit groaning on your behalf because He knows that you're an ignoramus about prayer. He knows I don't even know where to begin. But He still prays for me. He helps me to ask for the right things. And so the more I'm with my Jesus and the Spirit, the more I'm reading His Word, the more I'm worshiping with His people, the more delighted I am on the to rejoice in these intimate terms that uh, God ex- by which God accepts me, I just know that Jesus is rubbing off on me in prayer. And so my life and your life is becoming more fragrant. Prayer will become more and more your natural response to God in everything that you do. Now, why is it that there are some people that are more Uh, Comfortable at different kinds of prayer than others Well, I chalk that up to the fact that within Even within our homes, we have our own home style Uh, You know, just habits of the home They're not right or wrong They're just the way your family does stuff Um, I'm a fanatic about washing the dishes after every meal I cannot stand the idea that there are dirty dishes in a dishwasher My children are exactly the opposite They could care less. They could go two or three days. Oh, sorry, Blake, I forgot you were here. Uh, But anyway, apart from her, uh, no, Blake is not like that. Um, But nonetheless, that's a family-style thing. Well, within the house of prayer, there's flexibility, there's freedom as well. We're not all going to worship. We're not all going to pray the same way. We're not all going to to do our devotions the same way. There's so many different ways that God gives freedom to his people. That's the problem I have with, with books about prayer is that you're getting the author's favorite take on things and then you walk away saying, yeah, yeah, that's got to be mine. And it may not be your family style. It may not be the way God has created and working in you to be a prayer. You just, you need to and with uh, and every church Denominations, you name it, we, we develop our own styles and we give a lot of freedom to each other. And we're not critiquing each other's styles in the prayer part of it because that's just the way we're experiencing life in the house of prayer. But we all know that we will face struggles and we all know that we're never going to find that perfect balance of every single kind of prayer. That's why the house of prayer will always depend on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It can never depend on our prayers. It will always depend on them. So this morning, as I conclude, I, I, instead of focusing on the struggles in prayer or me trying to give you great tips on how to pray, um, I want you to just go away thinking about the spiritual house that you live in. the house that Paul says you actually are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that prays. The Spirit that prays to Jesus. You're in His house. You're in the house of prayer where Jesus is the resident landlord. So the Spirit and the Lord Jesus, are always praying for you. And therefore, the welcome mat into his home is always out. And I hope that this morning you'll just leave basking in your place in God's house of prayer. All of your thoughts and your thankfulness, your worship, your repentance, all of your generosity are prayers pictured in the book of Revelation, pictured as incense going up into heaven. And in the book of Revelation, it says those angels capture. They grab that incense. Here it comes. Here comes some more incense. They grab that incense. And then they put it into bowls, and they pour it out as answers to prayer. What a wonderful image of us living and the fragrance coming off of Jesus. That fragrance coming into our skin, into our clothing. And then everything that we are saying and doing starts to waft up into heaven as a type of prayer. And then those angels using it and bringing it to the Father. And then the Father actually ruling the universe in relationship to God's people's prayers. That's, That's pretty wild stuff. And yet that's what it means to live in Jesus' house of prayer. So the longer you live in this house of prayer the more your very life will be impregnated with this fragrance of prayer. And the more you grasp God's intimate bond with you in Christ, the more your very life will exhale prayer. And a good way to end a sermon is to pray. So let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for Jesus and his prayers, and thank you for the prayers of the Spirit. And Lord, let the words flow from us, from our hearts, even as we respond uh, to our Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's thank Gordon. As we close out our service, I just want to point out something that struck me from Pastor Gordon's sermon, and it's one of our core values. We have three core values, and the one that struck out to me was that we are empowered by the gospel. In other words, the power to live the Christian life, whether it is prayer, whether it's whatever aspect of following Jesus does not come from ourselves. The power comes from who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The power to pray comes from the fact that Jesus is praying for us and interceding for us. The power to pray comes the fact that the Holy Spirit is working prayers in us. And so if you wanna pray more, Reflect on the fact that Jesus is praying for you and the Spirit is working prayers in you. As we close out our service, we're going to sing together and you can respond by singing. If you just actually want to stay in your seat and pray, you're free to do that. And I'm going to ask Pastor Gordon and Dan just to go to the back. And if you need prayer for something specific in your life, they would love to pray for you. Just feel free to go back there, share with them what's going on in your life, and they'd love to pray for you. But I'm going to ask you to stand now and let's sing blessed be your name to the Jesus who prays for us.